Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'll start at uh, verse 4 of Revelation chapter 1. I'll read down to verse 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Would you say that, the seven spirits who are before his throne? The seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the Father speaking. John conveys a greeting from the Trinity to those who read these prophecies. He identifies the Father as him who is and who was and who is to come. And the Son by name, Jesus Christ, in verse 5. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he calls him the seven spirits who are before his, the Father's throne. Unless we hear these words from the deeply Jewish perspective which John intends, we'll end up quite confused. Some might and probably have concluded that somehow there are seven spirits before God's throne, which is, to say the least, a strange concept, uh, more in kin with uh, Snow White. Some... (laughs) Some view it as merely a poetic way of describing the Holy Spirit, drawing on Isaiah's description of the, very, of the different ways the Holy Spirit would minister through the coming Messiah. There in 11.2, uh, Isaiah describes the Messiah and says that the, upon him will be the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord. But since Isaiah lists only six attitudes, this interpretation is less convincing. Thankfully, John explains what he means by this phrase later on. In chapter 4, verse 5, he compares the Holy Spirit to the seven-branched lampstand which was in the tabernacle and later the temple. In Hebrew, that lampstand was called the menorah. John says there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This... Comparison reveals one of the central ministries of the Holy Spirit. To discover what that is, we need to go back and understand why God ordered Moses to place a seven-branch lampstand in the outer court of the tabernacle, what promise did it convey, and how does that truth change our lives today? Okay, now we're going to dig in for a minute, and I'm going to take you back to some of our studies in Exodus a minute. We're going to just, you've got to see where this comes from and what it meant, and then we can apply it. First of all, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was not designed by Moses. It was something God revealed to him item by item, detail by detail, down to the smallest matter. 
You know that. You remember that? Uh, he didn't just say, hey, we, let's, let's fill this tent with religious stuff. God not only told him what furniture, but how to design it. I mean, almond blossoms. And I mean, he, he went down to the detail. This is what I want everything to look like. This is because it was designed to be, listen, a symbolic explanation of the kingdom of God. Everything in there was explaining the kingdom of God. It was a, it was a prophetic revelation right in the midst of the people. He says in Exodus 25, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Now, it was placed in the center of the camp, if you recall. Tribes camped around it in order and God put them in particular parts to show that God would dwell in the midst of his people. It was a tent, not a stone temple, because he would lead his people and move with them. He's telling them he's not a stationary God, not a territorial deity. He travels with his people. Boy, even in Ezekiel, do you remember when Ezekiel sees the Lord? In in heaven, he's got the cherubim, their wings outspread, and 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 his throne above them. But what's under the cherubim? Wheels, yeah. Our God's on wheels. I mean, honestly, I don't think I'm taking it too far. I think that's what it means. He's a mobile God. I know the wheels have eyes in them. Never mind. That's another subject. In a living, it's a living wheels. It's, and there's more there I don't understand. But that it moves. And so if you recall, the cherubim are facing one way direction. They go, they go that way. And they go, and they go this forward and back. And they don't even have to turn. And they just, but it's a mobile God. And there's a message in that. He travels with us. He's with us. He moves. He's not stationary, living in some little house somewhere. You don't go visit God. He is with us where we go. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized his throne. That Ark is the the symbol of his throne. The, The Holy of Holies was his throne room. The outer court contained three articles of furniture which made important promises to Israel. A table with 12 loaves of bread a seven-branched lampstand, and a small altar where incense was burned just outside the curtain of the Holy of Holies. The promises of the outer court were profound. Whenever God's people needed bread or light, they need only ask through prayer. Now, let's look at this a minute. As you come into the tabernacle, the thing faced uh, from east to west. You came in the east side, and the Ark of the Covenant was on the west side. So it's an east-west oriented thing. On, as you come in, on the north side is a table with 12 loaves of bread. Now, that's no small matter. One loaf for each tribe. God has set a portion for each one. God has bread for each of his children. You got it? So there's a promise there. And then on the south side is this seven-branched lampstand. It's, it's, it's sort of a symbolic tree with its, with its seven branches. And then on top of each of the branches is a, a little oil light and the, the oil lamp, which burns, promising light. Bread would, re, would be the promise for not just bread, but resource. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, are we asking only for bread? No, we'd like some peanut butter and jelly and something. When you're talking about bread, it's an inclusive term. It's a big term. 
Lord, we need resource. We need resource. When you're talking about light, you're not simply talking about illumination. You're talking about spiritual revelation, wisdom, guidance, the, 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 the voice of the Holy Spirit available to us. So here's what the king, enthroned in his people, says to his people. Do you need bread? Do you need light? And by the way, there were seven branches of this thing, and the oil is changed in it uh, morning and evening. It's cleaned and refreshed in oil morning and evening. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So whenever you need light. And there is no other light fixture in the tabernacle. No other source of light, just the one. That's no accident. Unless, of course, you want to say that the Shekinah light, which glowed for a time over the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a chest there in the, the uh, Holy of Holies. There's a, a golden plate on the top called the mercy seat where the blood would be poured, the propitiatory, Hebrews calls it. And then they, these, these statues of the cherubim with their wings arched toward one another like, like that. And over that would be a silverly, silvery light, the Shekinah, while it glowed. And I'm going to show you a passage uh, uh, that actually refers to that in a little bit. So you've got, you've got this one source of light. The, when you, what the, the promise is this. There's a, a little uh, altar right in front of the curtain. On the other side is the Ark of the Covenant. And it, the, this is called the altar of incense. And there the high priest would take this specially, everything specifically designed as to what goes in it, this incense, and would pour it on these hot coals. Came off of the sacrificial altar. I mean, it's all loaded. And he'd pour this on and poof, up would come this great cloud of sweet-smelling uh, smoke, which represents, prayer. come on, prayer. Yeah. And would you please notice that the prayers that come up before God are sweet-smelling to him. Good-smelling. He loves your prayers. And so here the king says to, to his people, do you need bread? Do you need revelation, light? Simply come and pray to me, and I will give you a loaf for each of my children. I will give you light anytime, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I will give you my revelation. Don't seek divination. Don't seek human wisdom. Come to me, children. I will give it to you. Isn't that powerful? I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful. The lampstand, let's focus on that for a second. I've, I've really just said most of it. Seven la oil lamps were placed on a lampstand with seven branches. The lamps were clean. The oil was replenished morning and evening, seven days a week. It was the only light in the tabernacle. Don't go anywhere else. It was a constantly available light. And the message was, if you need guidance, come to me. Now, the Holy Spirit, by calling the Holy Spirit the seven spirits, God is telling us that even though the tabernacle on earth no longer stands... To those in Christ, its promises are still in effect. There is, as it were, a heavenly tabernacle. Hebrews 8, 1 through 5 actually says so. Before the throne of God and the Holy Spirit is our menorah. Promising to give us spiritual light 24-7 whenever we need it. If only we'll come to God in prayer. So just picture this. I mean, here's the book of Revelation opening up. 
you're about to have some of the most remarkable revelation, light, given, not only to these seven historic churches, but from chapter 4 to 22, you're going to be given a, a, a detailed description of the last seven years of history before the coming of Jesus Christ. That is about to be given. And so who is it who greets you? Well, him who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. And the seven spirits, the menorah of God, the source of light and revelation is about to speak to us. The Holy Spirit is the menorah. He is our only source of light. He is constantly available, and God welcomes our prayers, our requests for light. What does James 1.5 say? If any of you lacks wisdom, in fact, I think you have it printed there. You may not be able to read it, but trust me, it is there. If any of you lacks wisdom, read it with me. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let's just look at it to let that sink in one more time. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to... Say that again. To... Say it one more. He gives to several people. Okay, all. And he gives it generously. Say generously. In other words, he gives you a lot of it. And without reproach, he's not a bit annoyed. He won't rebuke you. He won't correct you. He's not angry with you for asking. And it will be given to him. Not might be, absolutely will be. Come, my children, says the Lord. Come to, come to me. Ask for wisdom. The, the light of God is constantly available to you. I want to reveal it. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. I want to show you a little bit of, 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 the, of, of what the negative of this means. I'm not going to dwell there, but I just want to show you it can be withdrawn. And, and that's a real sobering thought. With this in mind, we see what a chilling threat it was when Jesus warned the church in Ephesus, he would remove your lampstand. Look, look over with me at Revelation 2 verse 4. He says, I have this against you that you've left your first love. i actually tell you what that means in a second. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, given what we've just seen of the menorah, it becomes obvious what he means. It means that the Holy Spirit's presence would lift off that congregation and his voice would go silent. The prophetic word, the revelation, the active presence would depart. Ichabod is a term that's used. Look with me at 1 Samuel 3. This is, you can just get a feel for what that kind of thing is. 1 Samuel 3 verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And notice this, the word of the Lord was rare in those days and visions were infrequent. Why is that? No one's listening. People have turned to other gods. They've turned to human wisdom. They've turned to other sources. Their hearts have grown hard. And they've stopped listening. 
and the voice of the Lord has become rare. It isn't common. He is not speaking frequently. He's not available regularly. It's only occasionally does somebody get a word from the Lord. Isn't that tragic? Doesn't that unsettle you? What a, what a thought. Let your eye go down to verse 3. And the lamp of God, remember I told you I'd tell you, show you a reference. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, it's not talking about the lights on the menorah. Those are refreshed morning and evening, or else Eli's absolutely failed his assignment. I mean, that's, there's no mystery here. Every morning, every evening, you're given sacrifice, you go in, you clean the thing, and you refresh it with absolutely pure olive oil. No, no, no mystery what's going on. Those are constantly going. That's not the question. What's the lamp of the Lord? You tell me. It's the Shekinah glory. And little Samuel, if you recall, is sleeping in the outer court. They got a little cot for him. Wow. And, the, and in, the, in the tabernacle, I mean in the Holy of Holies, over the, over the wings of the cherubim is that silvery light glowing. The lamp of the Lord is still glowing there. I could show you in Amos, Amos will predict that a time will come when there will be no word of the Lord, a great drought, a great thirst for it. People will long for the word of the Lord and there'll be none. I just want to let it sink in. What a terrible thing it is when the voice of the Lord goes silent, when the word of the Lord, the light of the Lord is not available. How do we lose this light? And again, I'm not dwelling here. Well, Revelation 4, I told you I, I, what, what I believe uh, the Ephesian church had done to lose it. Uh, they had stopped caring for the poor. That's, we'll, we'll look at that another time and develop it. But they had stopped caring for the poor and stopped loving. Their love had gone dry. And the, he, Jesus says, if, you, if that keeps up... Uh, the, the Lord will lift his. How beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity because it's like the oil on Aaron. It's the anointing. You must love. Corrupt or ignore, or, or ignore the gospel. That will lift it. Undisciplined immorality. One reason that, that as a church we cannot, we, you know, all kinds of people, all kinds of situations come, but when people knowingly, enduringly continue on in their immorality and we don't discipline it, there'll be a lifting of grace and an anointing. We can't, we can't afford that has to be addressed. Division, gossip. Divide the church with a lot of gossip. Uh, you'll find I jump on gossip like a chicken on a June bug. I just tell you, I, I will not tolerate it. I mean, I will deal with it. It cannot stop. I, if I find people talking bad about other people in the church, it's going to stop one way or another. It's cancer. And I will not let the Shekinah leave. You got it? I will not let his presence, his voice go silent. I will not, we do everything we can to let his presence and his voice remain among us. Hallelujah. False prophecy, Micah says, and I'm not going there, we'll, we'll lift it. Atrophy of spiritual gifts. I think that the, the, that the people of God can, can quench the, whole, the voice of the Lord. They can quench the, holy, the gifts of the Spirit, says Paul in, in Thessalonians there. Uh, just, you just don't step out in the word of knowledge anymore. You never prophesy. You never seek the Lord. You never have the faith to just move out in those various gifts. And after a while, you forget how. It just dries up. There's an atrophy that goes on in the gifts of the Spirit if they're not, if they're not, if they're not exercised and practiced and being open to it. But the point we're going to look at is that we stop asking for light and replace it with human wisdom. 
Life forces each of us. Now we're getting intensely practical. Life forces us to answer questions we're not prepared to answer. Have you discovered that? Who should I marry? Where should I live? How should we raise our children? What can be done to save our marriage? Should I accept this new job offer? Should I accept this type of medical treatment? How will I ever get ahead in my finances? Important questions like these are hard to answer because there are so many unknowns. I'm not sure who to trust. I'm influenced by what others think of me. I'm not confident I can do what's required of me. People are pressuring me to do what they want. My emotions are trying to take control. I feel too tired to try again. I'm not sure what God wants me to do. Have you been there? This has nothing to do with native intelligence. You can be Albert Einstein, but you don't know tomorrow. Nobody does. This isn't a matter of whether you're, 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 you're bright. And there, there comes this place as you deal with life, these huge questions, the complexity of it, the, what's, what is the, the real thoughts of a person or a situation? What would happen if I... And when we try to go into the human mind, we try to find guidance from other sources, we'll always be frustrated. What happens when we try to answer these questions by our own reasoning and willpower? Well, here's different options. Like sheep, we follow what others are doing. Some of us just, just, well, I don't know what to do. I'll just follow what the majority of people are doing. Like scientists, we examine ourselves under a microscope and try to calculate the answer. I mean, that's one of these, you know, you go out and you, you, you take these aptitude tests and you, you answer all the questions and you find that people like you our happiest being a shepherd in eastern Washington. <laughs> you read some book and you pay the money for it and you type in on their website and you come up and you find that, by George, you're the color orange. <laughs> and orange always, I mean, oh, this is what orange does. Or, or you find that you're an MP13. And MP13s, well, they're all like that. And you go, why, well, I am. I am not fundamentally against the thing. I'm not, I'm, I, I, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something missing in it all. Like a fortune teller. This, this was kind of mine, is mine when I'm in the flesh. We try to peer into the future and decipher the safest course. Now, let's see. If I do this, she'll say that, and he'll do this. Oh, I just know what will happen to him. He's always like that. And then, and then, and then this will happen. And, but, but if I do this, he'll, he'll do that. I know he will. And, and then that'll happen. And, and frankly, I think that's the safest course. And I would find myself prognosticating down the various options and finding the one where I stood the least chance of failing. That was how I made my decision. What's the safest one where I'm most likely to succeed? And what I, I found myself doing constantly is putting myself into a dull, small, restricted environment. Safe. It's a deadly thing. You find yourself parked in a cul-de-sac. I know, I can tell you, you can have my parking place. Like tiny babies, 
we, or this is another one, like tiny babies, we passively wait for someone to come and pick us up and carry us where we belong. I don't know what to do. Somebody come and rescue me. And we sit passively until we need to be changed. <laughs> like football players, here's, an, here's, the, here's the polar opposite. Like football players, we crash through obstacles and people to reach the goals we desire. Doesn't matter. We just walk over, folks. We'll do whatever we have to do to get where we need to go. Though each of us is wired differently and tends to handle life differently, all these approaches have one thing in common. They rely on sources other than God. None of them require a living God who speaks to us and none involve walking obediently in faith with him. Do you see? It isn't that they're fundamentally horrible, but they aren't coming to the menorah of God. They aren't coming to the Holy Spirit. They aren't coming to the one who knows tomorrow, who knows how he knit us in his, our mother's womb, who knows the plans he has for us. They aren't coming to him. They're coming to other sources. Here's some important facts to remember. God has a plan for my life, but he, I want you to notice this. He also has wisdom for each decision. It does not matter what's on your plate. God knows the answer. There is wisdom for every decision of life as we go to him. God wants me, number two, God wants me to know his will and will reveal it to me if I seek him. You are not coming to a belligerent God, a grumpy God who, if, who might tell you. Your prayers, he says, are sweet aroma to him. He loves your prayers. He loves it when his people come. Ask, you need bread? Ask. You need light? Ask. Your prayers are sweet to me. Do you get the feel of it? Any man like wisdom? Come to me. I'll give it abundantly and without reproach. Far from being a God who doesn't want to. You know, I, I believe that when I study the Bible. Some people sort of treat it like it's a book of cryptic sayings and sort of this mystical thing and you, you know, have to divine what it all means. And I, think it's, I think it's intelligent, logical uh, revelation given through people, to people, and it said something and meant something. And, and I, I, I just, now it's written some places 4,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. Of course, there's all sorts of culture and language and things I need to kind of work through so that I can hear the message. But it's not nonsense. It's not cryptic garbage. This is, this is revelation that God's speaking to intelligent people, her, intelligent things. And I come at it, Lord, you want me to know. And so when I don't know, and it's, which is all the time, I can, get on my, I can get before him and say, Father, I do not get it. I don't see. This doesn't make sense. And just hold it tenderly before him. And sooner or later, boy, the Lord just opens the thing and says, see that? And you go, oh, of course. How could I miss that? What a beautiful truth. Such as the seven spirits. I've had years where I look at that going, seven spirits. Okay. What do you do with that? And I have heard suggestions. And I thought, that's bizarre. 
And then the Lord finally says, oh, by the way, it's a beautiful allusion to the menorah of God, which is before me. Okay, that's cool. Man, that's beautiful. Isn't it? That's, he wants us to know his word. This is meant to be life to us and revealed to us. And your father wants you to know. He will tell you. His will for me revolves around his kingdom, not my fleshly desires. God has not come here to be our co-pilot. He's not come to be our business partner. He's come to be our Lord. He has called you into his service so that everything you do is for his glory. He's not there to help you achieve your ambitions. He's there for you to serve him in eternal work. You bet you'll achieve things, and you bet he'll bless you, and you bet he'll promote you. I mean, I've been hearing one thing after another of, of miracle jobs that are being provided and promotions that are being given in, in difficult times. It's amazing what God's doing. But that's because your heart is focused on glorifying him, not having him somehow in your back pocket to help you. There is a divine timing in his plans that must be waited for patiently. We've all discovered that. To realize his will, I must walk in faith. It can be forfeited or reduced by sin or passivity. It's not automatic. It's not, it's not doomed fate. It is something I must lay hold of. His will leads us into discipline, yes, as well as reward, but always leads to victory. But here's the thing I really want you to see. It's impossible to have faith without personal contact with God. It cannot be attained by mental energy or human power. This offer of God that says, come to me and I will tell you. Faith cometh by hearing. Many people teach that faith is something that you must generate. In yourself. By, by somehow focusing your mind on thinking only positive things about this situation. And then if you can kind of get your mind generated and think, 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 think. You know, like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. If you can keep that going, and don't, don't doubt. Thinking again, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That somehow you are, and then you need to say it a lot. And, and, and you, you are emitting vibes, good vibes. And, and, and. They're creating stuff. I know people that I think have the personality that can do that. There are people that are just buoyant personalities, and we are glad you're here. <laughs> you are just optimistic, positive, life-embracing folk. Hallelujah. We really are. I'm glad you're here. The rest of us Eeyores need you. <laughs> you are awesome to us. We don't quite know how you do it. But Hallelujah. But if that were all it was faith, about one out of 50 of us could do it. And frankly, even those who try it, and I have, I find get tired. Whenever faith or whatever this is rests on my energies to somehow produce it, I can only turn that wheel so long before I just wear out. I get tired. Faith is not like that. It isn't generated by the soul. It isn't how many times you said it till it finally cranks over. Faith cometh 
by hearing. When God has spoken to you, your heart knows it. How many in here would say, I know I've had times where God has spoken to me. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I know. Look at every hand. And that is in every service. How do you know it? You just do. <laughs> I mean, you just do. And it, and it isn't. I mean, and there's, then there's those, those, those times when you want to hear so bad. And, and you want him to say such and such so badly. Often with the best motives. You're emotional and you're loving. And you want to just want to say, oh, I just know he's saying this. But in here, you know he hasn't yet. Right? When he has, you know it. You're just in there. You know that you've heard, and there's a, there's a confidence and an energy that comes, a boldness that comes. You didn't generate it. You didn't confess it into existence. It's just there because God said. It cannot be attained by mental energy or human, human willpower. It is imparted. A gift transferred from him to us in moments when we commune with him. So what's the real key to faith? Spend time with God. And you see, we, we are all, here's the problem right now. We are Americans, and we are attached to the hip technologically to a million different devices and bits of information. Things are buzzing, beeping, burping at us all the time. <laughs> we are late for whatever place we're supposed to be at any given moment. And taking time to listen to God is like, I would love to. I can't. And so we live in this buzz, and we don't hear, and we get weary and scared, and decisions have to be made. So give me that test again. Am I an orange or a yellow? Am I MC13 or am I MC14? Oh, no, I'm 14. I thought I was. Oh, boy. I, am I? And we begin, or, or if you're religious, you, I'm going to find me a prophet, and they're going to tell me what to do. Do you have a word for me? Do you have a word for me? I need a word. I'm not going to tell you what it is. What's my word? And what it is, is I go into McDonald's. I don't have time to seek him for myself. Could you just shortcut the process? Save me the time? And tell me what he says? Listen to me. Here's the issue. He speaks to in many different ways, but how he speaks is not important. Some of you have visions, some hear voices, some hear, you know, the scripture jumps. I mean, it's just scores of ways he can talk to us. It's not important how you hear. That you realize I've heard from God is what's important. When your heart knows it, you know it. That's the wonder of it all. And when that takes place, now here's the point. In matters of personal guidance... No one can hear God for me. Even if they do, they can't give me their faith. They have it because they just heard. I don't have it because they heard I didn't. I have people come after service and say, you know, and they'll ask to be talking about things. And sometimes God will actually tell me what they're supposed to do. And I can say, well, now I know what you're supposed to do. Do this. But what, what's missing? Come on. Faith. I got it. They don't. They just heard me. When you know what God said to you, when you're confident, I'll put you in this job, 
I've called you here. I know it's tough. Doesn't matter. You can go through anything. You can stick through the most difficult assaults and trials and slander and everything else. But you know he put you there. And you don't know why. <laughs> if he would have done it, you'd have put you somewhere else. But you know he did. And so you've got a tenacity and a courage in that thing. And you hang on through thick and thin. Because you know what God said to you. Right? I mean, tell you, that's how all of this works. God says, now, I, I had a situation here just recently, last, this last week, and I was worried. I was really, really worried about something, and, 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 and my anxiety was coming up, and I was talking with somebody who would convey the information to me that was worrying me, and, uh, and I, I'm sort of fretting out loud about, boy, this is what can happen, and oh, man, I can see where this can go, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm letting that run. And uh, then we said, finally, let's pray. And uh, he began to pray. And as he did, almost instantly, as he began his prayer, God simply spoke to me. And the Lord said, you don't have any idea how healthy and how strong the situation here is. You're fearful. This is your fear. I have done a far greater work than you know. And it will not be shaken. Don't be afraid. I, he kept praying. I didn't, I mean, fine. I prayed too. But it, but, but it was done. And I was able to go through a situation with no anxiety. And I wasn't going, oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I thought, I no fear, no fear, no fear, no fear, no fear, no fear. I can do all things, I can do all things, I can do all things. I mean, I have done that. But I didn't need to do that because I actually had faith. I had the real thing. And if a thought came, I can just go, thank you, Jesus. I know what you said. See, I'm, I'm for confessing what God says. But simply confessing promises that have yet to have been spoken to the heart does not have that same power. And you know it doesn't. And you've been through situations where you're trying desperately to have faith in it, but nothing's triggered. And you also know the experience of having known you heard and the solidity and the strength that you went through that situation with and the difference it was in you, right? Faith cometh by hearing. He speaks so many different ways and here's his promise. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He won't say necessarily what you want to hear. I can't promise you that. You can't say just sit in his presence until he tells you what you want to hear. In fact, I'm going to, I might as well say it now. He'll say what he wants to say. He is God, and we're not. That's theology 101. <laughs> and so he'll say what he wants. What's been missing? How do we hear? We learn to have quiet times with him. Honor the Lord through a Sabbath, whatever day of the week you pick. But take, take a day or much of a day and, and, and rest and listen. Learn to enjoy that. Turn off the other things. Sit quietly, read and worship till you sense his presence. Use fasting to help you focus. I, I don't fast long times. I don't go days after days and all of that. Fasting is never intended to be a hunger strike or, a, or some kind of proof that you're really sincere. Fasting is a physical discipline that somehow does help focus the mind and the heart in prayer. 
So I'll drink tea or whatever, or I might even need a protein bar if I think my blood sugar is dropping too far. I'll monitor it, but I'm trying to just keep a clear mind. Keep, keep close to him, not, not, not show how much I sincere I am by not eating. Listen to the Holy Spirit, not your head or emotions. Write your questions and answers in a journal. If you're all confused, please get a, get a little journal. Just get a, a notebook or something. And just begin to write your questions and begin to write the verses that come and the things you feel maybe God's speaking to you. Write them out. You'll find there's a clarity that comes as you start writing. Don't just sit and spin. Write. Just begin to write it. And you'll watch it begin to, watch him guide you and things begin to take focus. He's more than ready to talk to you. He's more than ready. The issue isn't getting God willing to talk to you. It's clearing the air so I can hear from him. Ask questions, but let him talk about whatever he wants to talk about. This isn't divination. You're not sitting there saying, this is how I'm going to get the answer I want. It's fellowship. He knows better than you what you need to hear. You're over here saying, God, I want to know if I should take this job. And you sit in the Lord's presence. He says, I want to talk to you about your Aunt Mabel. You're going, <laughs> another time, okay? Okay. Uh, I, I, got a, I got an issue here. Tomorrow morning, I have to decide. <laughs> Aunt Mabel, forget her, okay? What? what? The job, yes or no? Huh? Two out of three? And the Lord just silent. And he says, now about Aunt Mabel. <laughs> Has this happened to you? Yeah. Now, here's the thing that you don't know. And, and God is, is so wise and smart. He actually knows what's really wiring you and what's really dealing with issues that you don't know. And he doesn't explain it all. He orders you to do an obedience. So as you're dealing over here with forgiving Aunt Mabel and finally writing that letter that you've owed her for years, as you do it, suddenly your spirit opens up and you know instantly what you're supposed to do about tomorrow. And it was effortless. You got it? He's God. Let him talk about what he wants to talk about. He loves you. He knows what you need. And he also knows what's hanging you up. And you begin to listen to him. This light, this menorah of God, this Holy Spirit has been given to us without measure. He dwells within us. He is with us always. And the Lord says, come, come, let me talk. Let me guide you. Listen to me and I will lead you step by step. Would you stand with me? I want to I ask you a question. All of this presupposes that you trust God, that you have surrendered. If you've listened, we've, we're talking today about people who have surrendered to the Lordship of, of Jesus Christ, who've said, God, I want your will. I trust you. This isn't about me anymore. This is about me fulfilling your plan for my life. It's about me walking in your path for me. Now that is the heart of repentance. Repentance isn't about just saying you're sorry for the bad things you've done. That's sorrow. And that can, that's an appropriate issue you can deal with sort of issue by issue. Repentance is a reorientation of the will. 
No longer am I independent from God. I don't have him in my pocket. I don't pull him out when I need a little help. I am learning to let him guide my life. I am surrendering my future to him. I am not independent. I am not rebellious anymore. I'm not trying to steer it or run away from him. Get my own way and see if I can slip through the cracks into heaven. I'm not going there. I'm surrendered. That's a repentant heart. And in all of it, what would give me the boldness? Today, I took communion. This is the second time this weekend. I took communion today to just cleanse my heart. Because the blood of Jesus washes me, gives me boldness to approach him like this. I'm not a perfect man. I don't deserve this. But the blood of Christ washes me so that I'm spotless. And I may approach the throne of God without shame, boldly asking my father for anything, though I have my own issues. Right? That is the fundamental issues of salvation. Repentance and an embrace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Not just believing he died on a cross, but believing he died for you. Continuing to believe he died for you. Trusting he died for you. Day by day, moment by moment, thanking him for his washing and his intercession at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. That's what allows us to boldly approach the throne of God and bring our requests and petitions before him, knowing without a doubt he will answer us. Got it? Now that is foundationally salvation. Would you just bow your heads a moment? Is there anybody here today who says, I've really not made a serious decision before, but today I, I see it. I do s- repent. I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I want him to guide my life. I want him to, to use my life for his glory. I'm not running away from him. I'm not, I'm not taking my own things anymore. He will be my Lord from this day forward. And I trust his death on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead and he washes my sins away. All of them so that God's blessings are poured out to me. I believe in Jesus Christ, my Savior. Anyone want to raise your hand and say, I am confessing that today. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I bless him for the doors he opens for me and the new life he makes for me. There's a new way, a new road, a new path for me because of Jesus Christ. Let me see your hands if that's you. Yes, 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 yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Praise you, Jesus. This is it. It's as hard as this and as easy as this. When I finally come to the place where I can just say, Lord Jesus, not running, not running away anymore. I trust you. I trust you to lead me. I trust your blood to wash me. Yes, praise God. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Savior. Anyone else? Blessed be the Lord. Holy Spirit, just do your wonderful work right now. Your wonderful work right now. Praise you, Jesus. Last call. That's me, Pastor. I'm in. I'm surrendering to Jesus. Last call. All right, church, would you pray with me? Here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me the way you do. 
Thank you for all you have provided. Your guidance, your strength, that you have planned my life, ordered my footsteps, numbered my days, and you've called me into your service. What an honor. This day, I bow my knee and I say, I, I am no longer independent from you. I am no longer rebellious. I choose to surrender to your Lordship in my life. I trust you. I put my hand in yours, my Father. From this day forward, I'm yours. All of my days, all my resources, I'm yours. I'm your child. And I will be forever. You sent your beloved son. He died on the cross for my sins. He suffered in my place. He took my punishment. He died my death. All the blame for my sin was put on him. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus died for me. But he rose from the dead. He conquered that sin. Its power lost its hold over him and over me. In Christ, I am free completely from my sin. Not only the things I've done, the things I haven't done yet. He is a great Savior who is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf, constantly forgiving me, strengthening me, loving me. He is able to keep me from falling and to present me before His glorious throne on that day. Jesus is my Savior and He will be to the last breath in my body. In His name I pray these things. Savior and Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.